Power tools, who doesn't love them? I tell you every week about uh, my good friends and longtime sponsor, Steel Power Tools. S-T-I-H-L, Steel, a company built on real power tools built for real people and dealers who deliver real service. Steel's the official handheld outdoor power equipment of the Colorado Rockies. They have over 9,000 dealers around the country. They have terrific equipment, and you can get them from a gas product to electric to battery-powered tools to help you get the job done. I've told you many times, I have a a number of steel power tools in my garage, and it's not exactly like I'm Bob Vila, but they've helped me with a number of projects around the house and around the yard over the years. So I could not recommend them any higher. Steel Power Tools. SteelDealers.com is where you'll find them. S-T-I-H-L. It's SteelDealers.com. You know, I've come to appreciate a good cup of coffee. Truth be told, a number of years ago, I never had coffee. Or if I had one, it would be the foo-foo kind. took me like five minutes to order it at Starbucks. But now my go-to is Boyer's Coffee, and yours should be as well. Boyer'sCoffee.com is where you'll find all kinds of great products, tasty products, and you can get them delivered right to your home. I'm a carrot guy, so I like utilizing those. You'll also find them in your local grocery store. They have a marvelous story. They were started in 1965 here in Colorado. They're environmentally conscious. They're socially conscious. And they make, most importantly, or as importantly, I should say, a great cup of coffee. BoyersCoffee.com This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast. Bichette on catching up with the other Blake Street Bombers. We did a book, um, Blake Street Bomber book, and we got in touch. Vinny and Larry and Ellis Burks, we all kind of got on Zoom and talked to each other. It was kind of fun to just see those guys and talk to them. They're all doing great. Plus the state of hitting today in the MLB and on coaching his son Bo as a hitting instructor for the Toronto Blue Jays. We're excited for him. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Drew Goodman Podcast. This is show number 84. Glad, as always, that you're along with us. Have a great guest later on that I think all Rockies fans, all baseball fans will be excited to hear from. It's almost kind of like one of those where are they now segments. We visit with Dante Bichette. That's right. Dante Bichette of Blake Street Bomber fame. And uh, he's got a pretty good player right now in the big leagues who uh, is his youngest son, Bo. And we're going to talk to Dante about a myriad of subjects that coming up in a short while. But uh, we begin this show with our Boyers What's Hot. You know what's hot? Pitchers and catchers, as I tape this on a Wednesday, reported today throughout uh, sites in Arizona and Florida, and that is always a good thing. And I know there are going to be challenges uh, going forward, as there were a year ago with COVID. We know the NBA and the NHL is dealing with it. The NFL got through their season, but uh, they're going to have a normal spring training within reason. You're not going to see full stadiums in spring training. Uh, they're going to be smaller rosters in terms of the invitees to spring training. But the plan is to play 162 games beginning on April 1st. And for the Rockies, it will begin against the uh, L.A. Dodgers and at home for the first time in quite some time. And we'll still... Uh, 
hear, we're still waiting to hear as to how many fans uh, will be allowed in uh, on opening day. And we'll keep you abreast of that as we uh, march closer to opening day. But it's great to see pitchers and catchers report. And uh, I know these have been tough times uh, for the Rockies, not only on the field the last couple of years after two very good years in 2017 and 2018, uh, but uh, we know what uh, was the headline around here when it came to the Rockies in the offseason, the departure of Nolan Arenado. But uh, the Rockies are going to play baseball games. They do have young talent. Uh, They have a pretty good nucleus of starting pitchers. And so I thought we would uh, break down a little bit uh, on some thoughts and questions, if you will, for 2021 in regards to the Rockies. And I think the first question uh, for hardcore fans and and those that uh, are going to get past the fact that uh, Nolan, unfortunately, is no longer a Rocky and say, okay, what can I look forward to? Who will be the next breakout player for the Rockies? There are candidates and there are multiple candidates. And that's one of the things for me as a broadcaster that will make this season exciting. Guys are going to get an opportunity to uh, proverbially sink or swim. There are teams that are in transition that march out sometimes a lot of uh, older players, veterans who are on the backside of their career. And to me, that's not as intriguing because we know who those guys are. But in the case of the Rockies, even though you're probably familiar with some of the names, they are still young in the process of establishing themselves as big leaguers. And I'm referencing even a Ryan McMahon who started for the last couple of years and two years ago hit 24 home runs. We know he has to cut down on the strikeouts, but he has star level talent. He really does. Now, will it be borne out this year? Keep your fingers crossed. But that's one guy that uh, we're going to focus on. Another guy is Sam Hilliard. Sam Hilliard can hit the ball out from foul pole to foul pole. He's really intriguing because he's 6'5 and close to 240 pounds, yet has the ability to steal 20-plus bases. And the stolen bases, I I might add, is probably going to have to be an area where the Rockies – have to be more aggressive. We saw Trevor Story last year. He led the league in stolen bases, but because they're not going to be able to sit back and and bash the ball over the wall, and quite honestly, they weren't really able to do that consistently the last couple of years, but now with the departure of Nolan, uh, you're going to have to create more offense, and Hilliard's a guy that can do that. He, too, and this is going to be a common theme, he's got to cut way down on the strikeouts, but he's going to have an opportunity to play, in all likelihood, a lot of baseball this year and hopefully he can emerge. Another guy who falls in that category, and for those that have followed this podcast or heard me uh, on Rocky's broadcast on AT&T, you know I'm a big Garrett Hampson fan. And in fact, a lot of people seem to think, oh, he's going to compete at second base. He may compete at second base with with Brendan Rodgers, and we'll get to Rodgers in a moment. But for me... He's probably the best center fielder right now on this roster defensively. Jonathan Daza is a very capable defensive center fielder, a guy that had a cup of coffee with the Rockies a couple of uh, years ago. Great young kid. Uh, The bat is still... We'll find out about that. But Hampson has the ability, sneaky pop, as Buddy Black likes to say. We've seen him hit some home runs. He has tremendous speed. You know, he and Story are two of the fastest guys in the game, legitimately. And uh, I see him 
with an opportunity perhaps to establish himself in center field. And he can go get him in center field. He's just a great athlete. But he, too, has to say it along as you're on this run or on your bike listening to this podcast, cut down on the strikeouts. I mentioned Brendan Rodgers a few moments ago. He has to cut down on the injuries. He has to find a way to stay on the field. And he has just a little more than 100 at-bats at the big league level. He has not hit yet. The hit tool and hopefully the power tool is going to be what keeps him in the big leagues and establishes himself as a bona fide big leaguer. It's why he has been the Rockies' number one prospect, 1.3 years running, uh, a perennial member of the top 100 prospects in the game. But the time is now. The time is now for Brendan Rodgers to not only stay on the field, but step forward. And he no longer has to worry about you know, other guys around him. He just has to go out and compete and put together uh, a number of at-bats, which will be given the opportunity, one would assume, and, and see if that can play, that, that talent that he has with the bat can play at the big league level, uh, given more than the occasional at-bat. So those four guys are at the top of my list among position players that uh, you're, you're going to look at and they're going to have every opportunity uh, to establish themselves again as uh, hopefully impactful big leaguers. Josh Fuentes, too, he's a guy I never count out. He's a guy that looked overmatched to me a couple of years ago. And then last year, the first thing I think about when, when his name comes up is he played a, not a good first base. He played a great first base, picking balls, uh, you know, uh, the way he fielded around the bag. I mean, he was tremendous. And he also, for about four weeks, was a really good hitter, a gap to gap hitter. He does not profile right now as a typical corner infielder in that you like your corner infielders in today's game or even yesterday's game to hit the ball over the wall. He has, you know, occasional pop, but he's more a a, a gap to gap guy. But I never count a guy like that out. I mean, he was undrafted at a Missouri Baptist, given an opportunity, ends up being the MVP of uh, the Pacific Coast League a couple of years, doesn't get a call up, then finally gets an opportunity, maybe, as I said, looked over match. Last year gets an opportunity and, and, and did well with it. And let's see how he grows moving forward in 2021. So those are those are a handful of guys. We'll talk about other guys moving uh, forward as well. But uh, the thing that will carry the Rockies, which is so interesting because this has rarely been the case. The sport, as we know, is all about pitching, will always be about pitching. For the Rockies, it's always been about hitting. Well, the Rockies strength right now is their rotation. And it's their unquestioned strength right now. And I want to break this down a little bit for you and throw some metrics at you and some analytics that uh, that may surprise you a little bit. We'll start we'll start at the top of the rotation with Herman Marcus. Herman Marcus last year had an ERA plus. That is a park adjusted. Keep in mind a park adjusted statistic and a 100 ERA would be league average. So anything above that is above league average, and anything below would be below league average. I think you can follow that. He had an ERA plus of 140 last year. So that was 40% better than the league average, which is outstanding. He was not, however, surprisingly, the team leader. 
The team leader in that category was Antonio Senzatella, who had a 153 ERA+. Kyle Freeland, who had a nice bounce-back year, and we'll look to build upon that naturally, had a 122 ERA+. When was the last time, or when did it ever happen before, maybe in 09, I'd have to look back, did the Rockies, first three in their rotation, all have a well above league average in ERA+. And by comparison, and this might catch you by surprise, I'm going to give you the vaunted world champion Los Angeles Dodgers and the top two in their, or top three in their rotation now. I'll add Trevor Bauer because Bauer's now with the Dodgers. And don't get me wrong, folks. Please, please, please. I am not in any way, shape, or form comparing the Rockies rotation to the Dodgers rotation, uh, especially up top and when it comes to depth. The Dodgers rotation is an embarrassment of riches. But I will throw this out there. Walker Bueller, who really is going to headline that rotation, though Clayton Kershaw probably will get the ball on, on in game one and maybe Bauer uh, in game two, the reigning National League Cy Young Award, and then Walker Bueller day three. But in terms of pure stuff, right now Walker Bueller is probably the head of that class. Yet his ERA plus a year ago was 124. So the Rockies had two guys higher, and Kyle Freeland ostensibly with the the very same number, 122, uh, to Bueller's 124. Now, Kershaw last year was great again. He had a 196 ERA+, and Bauer was off the charts. He led the National League at 272, but, but Bauer was an outlier. The top 10 are all, you know, 160, one, uh, you know, down in the 150s. So, you know, Senzatella had a very quiet but effective shortened 2020. In fact, he had a pitcher's war of 2.8. In other words, he was worth almost three games above a league replacement, calling up a triple A. AAA uh, pitcher, which was amazingly in the top 10 in the National League. That's how effective Senzatella was. And you need a bounce back uh, year from a health standpoint with John Gray to round out the top four. And then the Rockies are going to be in a better position, at least going into camp on paper with who the fifth starter is. You got to believe that Austin Gomber, who came in the Nolan deal, will be that fifth starter, a left-hander who had a 186 earned run average last year. He started some games and worked uh, some long haul out of the bullpen as well. So one through five in their rotation, that is going to be, knock on wood, the strength of the Rockies. They still don't have tremendous depth. They have Castellani, Ryan Castellani, you know, who showed an impressive arm but has to work on his command, something that uh, betrayed him at times uh, in the minor leagues. They have Ryan Rolison, who's their top pitching prospect, a former number one pick, also a left-hander that that's probably at some point going to be seen by Rockies fans at the big league level this year. Again, not nearly the depth of you know elite teams right now like L.A. or San Diego, but uh, a little bit better depth with the um, acquisition of Gomber than they were at this time a year ago. But make no mistake, the strength of this Rockies team is going to be their rotation. We'll get into the bullpen in ensuing weeks, but I wanted to give you a little thumbnail sketch uh, in terms of uh, where the Rockies were as pitchers and uh, catchers report. 
So here's another question. You're angry, you're upset, and you're, you're a Rockies fan, though, and you're also a baseball fan. And you say, give me something else to get excited about. Well, I love the game. And I love the Rockies, naturally, and I want to see them, you know, win as many games as possible. I understand from a talent standpoint, they're looking up, as is most of baseball, at the Dodgers and the Padres. But the Dodgers and Padres are two teams that the Rockies will play a combined 38 times. And as a lover of the game, though I hope the Rockies go 38-0, we know that's highly unlikely, you are getting to see some of the great young players in the game or just great players, period. It is a privilege to watch Clayton Kershaw pitch. It'll be fun to watch Trevor Bauer pitch. Sure, it's not fun to hit against him. It is an absolute joy as somebody who loves the game to watch Fernando Tatis play shortstop and swing the bat for the Padres. That doesn't take away from my allegiance to the Rockies, and it shouldn't for all of you. But you know what? It's the same thing when the Nuggets line up and they're playing LeBron James and Anthony Davis and the Lakers. It's got a little more sex appeal than when they're playing Oklahoma City, let's say. Well, the Rockies are going to line up 38 times again against two of the most uh, formidable rosters uh, you've seen in quite some time. So that's another thing to get excited about in 2021. And uh, I, I didn't even mention Mookie Betts, who we got to see a little bit uh, last year. But uh, as a baseball fan, it's a joy to watch those guys play. And it, it means that much more when you're able to beat them also. The other thing to get excited about, hopefully, fingers crossed, that uh, slowly fans will get to Get back inside Coors Field. Fans will get back to uh, ballparks around baseball and will slowly uh, move back to normal. Well, I had a chance to catch up with a guy that I uh, hadn't visited with in uh, a while, as I said. But I always enjoyed being around when uh, he was playing, certainly. And the year that he was the hitting coach for Walt Weiss, uh, good guy, uh, easy to chat with a unique approach to hitting and Dante Bichette made his mark with the Colorado Rockies. And I think when you list you, your top 10 Rockies of all time and your favorite Rockies of all time, I would think Dante is going to be on a whole bunch of lists like that. And uh, we had an opportunity to uh, catch up, and I think you're going to enjoy our Ideal Home Loans interview of the week. Blake Street Bomber, Dante Bichette. Dante, it's been a while. What have you been up to these days? Oh, man, I'm living in uh, St. Pete, Florida, uh, real close to the, the Blue Jays complex, where I kind of do a little uh, part-time hitting coaching and and uh, pretty much end up in a batting cage every day in my life, like, like the last 15 years. So have you developed a decent relationship with any of the players there? Anyone uh, in particular? <laughs> yeah, I know a couple of them pretty good. I, it's actually, it's actually interesting. I, uh, other than Bo, there's uh, a kid, Bo's best friend, uh, Forrest Wall, who was with the Rockies actually grew up with Bo. So it's kind of been neat. I didn't realize that. How's he doing? I remember when he was with the Rockies late in his time with the Rockies, they moved him from second base to center field. Yeah, he uh, he had to move to center field. Had a couple injuries in the shoulder, 
but this year he looks really good. He's played he's played well with us. You know, obviously last year not being able to play didn't help him a whole lot. But he looks good, man. He's got his speed back, and he's swinging the bat well. He's throwing better, so we're excited for him. Okay, so you're in a cage now with Bo, and you have spent your life in the cage with uh, your two kids, Dante Jr. and Bo. When you're with the Toronto guys and Bo's in the cage, is it dad or is it coach? <laughs> no, still dad, still dad. But we got, but I've got to, uh, you know, I can't call him Bobo. <laughs> it's Bo, but it's, we try to be real professional, but it's still bad. All right, I got to share a story with you. It's one of my favorite stories, and I'm not sure if I told you this back in the day, but when you were the hitting coach with the Rockies, Bo was around all the time that season. He was 15, and. You remember this because nobody wanted to hit in your group and Walker's group and Burke's and, and Vinny's group. You know, if you were the utility infielder, you know, and you felt like you were having a good round, you're spraying line drives around. You don't want to be in the group with you guys where you're launching balls onto the concourse. Well, there were guys who were big leaguers who didn't want to be in Bo's group when he would take batting practice with the team. He was always going to be in the last group because, after all, he's, he's not a, a player. And the Rockies are playing the Dodgers, and, and you know I always hang out by the cage, and I was standing there with Mark McGuire, who last time I checked knows a thing or two about hitting the ball really far. And we're chatting away, and Bo gets in the cage, and I tap him. I go, you got to watch this. This is Dante's kid. And Bo starts launching balls with a wood bat, 15, 18, 20 rows deep, some in left center field. And he said, how old is he? I said, 15. He said, you got to be bullshitting me. And he, and he runs over literally to another coach and he starts pointing in the cage at Bo. He just couldn't believe it. Had, had I told you that story? Do you remember that? No, I never heard that with McGuire. I remember that day though. I remember Grinky and all of them were kind of tripping on Bo. Yeah, that was fun time. Fun time. Was there was there a point, and you can brag on your son. We're all proud, you know. I have three boys. That, you know, two one's done playing college baseball, one's playing college baseball, one's senior in high school. We brag on our kids. But <laughs> was there was there a point when he was little where you said this is this is different, even for ten or twelve? Yeah, yeah, it was probably different for about for for two and three. I would say. <laughs> yeah, right. Because you know what he. His, his, you know, he was he's five years younger than his brother, so he had to keep up from day one, and he did. He kept up from day one. The minute he could walk, man, I remember hitting him in the chest with a he, – he, me and his brother are playing catch. I want to say he was two or three, and with a Nerf football, and he, and he said, hey, you know, you could tell he wanted the ball, man. He's holding his hands up. I hit him with a pass. He catches it. He throws a spiral right back at me. And I, it was kind of freaky what he did. I was like, wow, that's impressive. Can he do that again? The next thing, though, we're yelling for mom, come see this. You know, but I don't even think he was two yet. It was funny. But yeah. that, that year with the Rockies um, really changed his, like, love for the game, man, because he, he never saw guys go at it so hard with, you know, Tulo and Mayhew and, and Blackman and those guys, Arenado, that was his rookie year. Man, but that changed Bo's life because uh, 
he he kind of liked baseball, but after that, man, he was locked in. You know, I haven't seen Bo in a while, and the Rockies haven't played Toronto. That's why. But I remember when he was 15, he was kind of built like a smaller version of you, stocky and, and strong. And now when you see him, and he was playing shortstop back then, I was thinking, you know, he's probably going to have to move to a corner. But now you see him, and he is one of the fittest guys in Major League Baseball. And obviously, he's become a, a, a top-flight, not only offensive player, but he's a very, very good defensive shortstop. Yeah, and, and, and again, I, I, I credit it to that year. He went home and changed his body completely. Yeah, he looks fabulous. And I think from afar, I've read also that, that maybe that's rubbed off a little bit, his work ethic on Vladdy Jr. Is that uh, fair? Yeah, I think yeah, I think uh, Bo's... Bo, Bo and Vladdy are very close, so they talk a lot. And uh, and 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 Bo keeps telling him, man, you can, you know, just tell him you can be a great player, man. You just gotta get yourself right, get yourself healthy, and and uh, Vladdy's taking note. And I think this year we're gonna see a different Vladimir Guerrero. So when you're sitting with the uh, Hall of Famer Craig Biggio and and Vladdy Senior, is it more nerve wracking watching your kids? than when you had to get in the batter's box yourself and face big league pitching. Oh, yeah, man. Walking, well, watching my kid is way worse because you can do nothing about it. And sitting with those guys are awesome. You know, they're nervous a little bit too. But, we, you know, we, we managed to survive and, and talk about old times. And I, Vigio works with the Astros. Vladdy kind of comes and goes, Vladdy Sr., but we, we manage it. You know, Vladdy doesn't speak great English, but we talk a little bit, and we sit in the box. I, I remember sitting in, in the box and watching Vladdy, Vladdy's home run derby with Vladdy Sr. So it's been fun. I mean, it's, it's kind of a neat experience. They're certainly a team on the rise, and they made some interesting moves this winter. So Toronto is going to be heard from this year. Yeah, we had we made some really cool moves this offseason with Springer and Simeon. Those guys – you know, do what they do. And, and if and a lot of people aren't realizing that we're so young that it's almost like every one of our players should get better, and which is a rare case. Usually you got a couple – almost all our guys are very young and should get better next year. So it'll be exciting, exciting uh, year for us. We'll, they'll be confident and they'll be ready to go. I remember back to watching you – swing the bat and then also when you were the hitting coach with the Rockies and and one of the staples of how you got yourself started was a little you know hip turn and that kind of began moving your hands and, and getting you in the in the launch position and watching Bo and I've seen video on on Dante Jr you passed that on to your kids didn't you yeah, you, you're talking about the inward turn, and really, if you think about where your hands are, when you inward turn, you take your hands, uh, you know, away from the pitcher a little bit, and what that does is allow you to create a little more bat speed, almost like a longer uh, 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 runway, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and, and if you can create earlier bat speed, that that's what um, opposite field power is all about, you know, uh, because you got to catch the ball so deep create bat speed that if you inward turn it actually gives you more room to catch the ball deep so that's kind of where that came from but yeah that's something I do I, I teach a lot and and uh, has been pretty successful with it all right you know one of my pet peeves in the coaching of, of hitting 
And it's become an in vogue term over the last four, five, six years. And naturally, if you hear it at the big league level, it trickles down to the lower levels. And that is, quote unquote, launch angle. And you put out a video recently that I saw on YouTube that explains your philosophy, if you will, on that. Yeah, it's been taught so poorly right now. And you can see it with all the strikeouts, man. They're just throwing high fastballs. And even at the big league level, we're not doing it correctly. I mean, launch angle is just, you know, the, the swing. Everybody wants to argue about the swing being an upswing or a downswing. And the truth of it is the swing, because the, the pitch is below the hands, the, the swing is more like a pendulum. It kind of goes down through and up. And if you catch it further out front, you'll catch it on the upswing. If you catch it a little bit deeper, you'll catch it on the down or the or the level swing. And and if you and you just have to understand, if you're going to play out front on the upswing, you're going to have to make your mind up a little earlier. You're going to get fooled a little more often. But 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 the the, the advantage is if you do catch it, you lift it. If you catch it deeper in the on the downswing or the level swing, you're going to catch. You're going to be a little more consistent, but maybe not have as much power. The problem is people are actually changing their path by dropping their back shoulder and and dropping their hand and swinging straight up. This is off path, so you have to be so perfect to get that done. And, you know, there are some talented enough guys in the big league that they can run into 30 a year, but that's about all they're doing, you know. The strikeouts are close to 200, and the game has changed so much in that in that realm with all the strikeouts. Not real fun to watch, I don't think, but – uh You know, that's where that is. That comes from. You know, we love this game and the game evolves. All sports evolve. The NFL's evolved. The NBA's evolved. How they play at the NHL level is has evolved. And and it's important that baseball evolves also. You know, I, I think back to when you were playing and you hit a lot of home runs, but you didn't strike out. You only struck out more than 100 times in a season, twice, and that was barely. I think it was 107 one year, 105 another year. What would you change going forward with the game, particularly offensively, to make the game more appealing? I think baseball saw a really sad day when, and I'm not going to say his name, but when when a uh, certain general manager says said, we don't judge hitters on batting averaging. Um, because, uh, and, and I'm guessing what that means is they judge them on exit speeds and launch angles and things like this. But to get an exit speed and to get a launch angle, that's playing out front. Like I said, that the bat has to travel way out front to get exit speeds and launch angles. When you're in a two-strike mode and you're trying to catch the ball out front or pull the ball or lift the ball, you are very susceptible to every other pitch. So, we need to make batting practice important, batting average important again. Not just slugging percentage and on base percentage. On base percentage has jumped over batting average, and it really shouldn't because on base percentage is the ability to lay off a tough pitch, which has value. But batting average is the ability to hit a tough pitch. You can't beat a good pitcher in postseason unless you can hit a tough pitch because he's not walking you. So you can throw that on base percentage kind of out the door when you get into to high-level pitching and in postseason pitching, it's got to be batting average. The guys who dominate in those situations, you know, your 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 was it Murphy, um, Rendon, um, Soto, those guys hit for average and they don't strike out a lot. Do you teach spreading out like you did with two strikes? 
you know, I, I, I don't know if it's so much spread out. I don't mind if you don't spread out. I think if you're a leg kick guy, there's a lot of timing in leg kick. And before you get to two strikes, you might as well time up. Try to time up and throw your best bat speed out there because the only ball that counts before two strikes is a ball in play. Everything else doesn't count. But in, with two strikes, the most important thing is to put the ball in play because, you know, you can, you can take a calculator and add up the OPS on all balls last year that were swung and missed. It's zero, and it'll always be zero. So it does no good to punch out. So with two strikes, you know, the, the league, I think, hits 145 or 150 now. It's just really bad. So I don't know if it's so much uh, spread out, but definitely let the ball get deeper and, and, and more of a focus to put it in play. We'll continue with Dante Bichette, one of the original Blake Street Bombers, in a moment. But first, this from Ideal Home Loans. If you're looking to save money, and aren't we all, you got to call my friends at Ideal Home Loans. They've been in business and doing a marvelous job for more than 20 years with people looking for a mortgage, looking to save money on a refinance, or perhaps consolidating debt. Give them a call at 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000, and they will save you money. And their staff is not on commission, so they're salary-based folks. They're not going to give you the hard sell. They're just going to help you uh, reduce whatever your mortgage is or refinance and help you in that regard as well. 303 303- 8677000 is the number. It's Brent Ivinson's team. Ideal Home Loans. And now back to more with Dante Bichette. I've got to ask you, and I know you're not somebody that dwells in the past, but do you ever reflect back on the 95 MVP race when you had that gorgeous year? You led the National League in home runs with 40. You led the National League in RBIs as well, but you finished second to future Hall of Famer Barry Larkin in the National League MVP race. Yeah, that was a frustrating year, no doubt about it. Now, I did win the Players' Choice Award voted by the players that year, so that made it feel a little bit better. But that was the one. That was frustrating. And, you know, I think a lot of people said that was a course field thing, and I didn't hit any home runs the first half on the road. So that's what it just blew up. But the second half, I think I hit the second most home runs on the road. So that's kind of... Nobody, nobody made a big deal to that. They just made a big deal that in the first half. So, you know, it is what it is, but that was a frustrating year. I think the baseball world has become far more aware of and cognizant of the difficulties of playing at altitude and no longer dismiss what happens at altitude, if you will. And maybe the validation of that was the election of Larry Walker to the Hall of Fame last year. Did you draw some additional satisfaction to Walk's election? Yeah, I, I felt that was really good. And and he literally was one of the better players I played with, if not the best player I played when I played some pretty good players. And he deserved it. I mean, you know, the toughest thing to me was the breaking balls at home you know, they don't break, and then you go on the road, and they're just falling off the table. By the time you get used to the breaking ball on the road, you're back home, and it starts all over again. So, you, you know, everybody's had to deal with that, but it's good that they're kind of at least figuring that out. And plus, man, you feel so stiff in Colorado. It's not easy to play there every day, but anyways. <laughs> it is what it is. The Blake Street Bombers, are you able to keep in contact with some of your old teammates? 
actually through this um through this Larry Walker Hall of Fame thing, I did so many interviews, you know, trying promoting him and 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 we ended up talk did a, did a book, um Blake Street Bomber book. And I we got in touch the cat was the one we couldn't quite get in touch with, but but Vinny and Larry and uh Ellis Burks, we all uh kind of got on on uh, Zoom and talk to each other. It was kind of fun to just see those guys and talk to them. They're all doing great. How much did the inner competition with those guys help you when you actually took the field at 7 o'clock? Yeah, it was yeah, – I think it was good. It, it, I think the funnest thing about that team, you know, we were just – we were just, there just was – it was scary because at some point we knew we were going to drop about two or three home runs and 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 – and whatever the lead was, it wasn't safe. But I think the funnest thing is Bailey used to put us in the last group uh, in batting practice so that when the opposing team was stretching, the pitchers all were stretching right by the cage. And that's when we really had some competition was in batting practice. And and uh, his, he could hit the longest or the most home, you know, just for fun. But it had to, it had to be uneasy feeling for some of the pitching staffs coming in there. Is there a particular mark that you are most proud of? You hit a lot of home runs. You drove in a lot of runs. People may have forgotten you stole bases also. But is there a, one element of your game or something that you produced that gives you the greatest satisfaction? You know, I'd say prou- uh, proud of, you know, my dad was a guy who worked construction his whole life, and I don't ever think he missed a day of work. And that was always, that's always like he outdoor construction your whole life and never missed a day of work, man. That's pretty impressive. And he worked until the day he died, I think. And if you look at my, my career, I never spent a day on the disabled list. So, so to be able to grind like that for uh, 15 years, I think it was close. 10 days shy of 15 years and I never spent a day on the disabled list is pretty cool. The other one would be, you know, I, 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 I when I finally figured it out, I, I wasn't a, a big walk guy. I had to swing the bat and so I had to hit, learn how to hit tough pitches. I realized eventually I just couldn't lay off pitches. I had to learn how to hit them. And, uh, I think for about eight years span there, I had to be the top two or three guys in most hits in baseball. So, that was, I think it was behind Mark Grace or somebody, but that was kind of neat. I got to ask you, was there a point in time when you when you really figured it out? You, you went to junior college in Florida. You weren't a first or second round pick, and and you get to the big leagues with the Angels, and you're kind of kicking around with the Milwaukee, and then you end up with the Rockies. But was there a point in time where something clicked that moved you from being maybe just a guy to becoming a star level player? Yeah, interesting enough, it was Don Baylor was my hitting coach in Milwaukee. And Don Baylor, and I was trying to figure it out, I, I went from a strikeout guy my first year in Milwaukee to the hitter I am now my second year in Milwaukee. And I was, and it was Don Baylor who said, listen, when you figure this out, you're going to run this league. And I, and I thought to him, there's no way he believed that. You know, uh, yeah. and, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm on the bench, right? And, and when he, uh, when he later on got the manager's job, he was the reason I was traded to Colorado and he batted me third right off the bat. And I was like, wow, this guy really did believe in me. You know, that was a big one. Baylor believing in me, I think was a hump that, that helped me get over. And in my last year in Milwaukee, I started to hit for average and I cut the strikeouts down. So when I got to Colorado, 
it was kind of I remember the first month in Colorado I was trying to be too perfect and it looked like you know I wasn't going to get it done and Baylor had a talk with me and he said listen man this is probably the last chance you're going to get you need to stop taking pitches you need to stop doing this he says you need to hit the next pitch you can as hard as you can and don't stop and that night I think I had three or four hits in Houston and I took off from there it's interesting because this game tears at your confidence. And I don't care who you are. I mean, you were one of the best in the world at hitting a baseball. I, I say this all the time to, to kids that I coach. You could be Mike Trout. You could be Mookie Betts. And there's a one for 15 around the corner. They are not immune from that. And because this game is so hard on you mentally, do you ever find yourself talking to big league hitters about that aspect of playing? Oh, man. I mean, that's the hump. That's the hump at the big leagues level is, is the management of the mind. And, and when I say that, it's usually being able to manage fears. You know, you don't want to run from fear. You don't want to be that guy that says, I ain't scared, because the truth is you are scared. Most of the time you're scared when you're young. And, and it's not whether you are or not. It's if you just negotiate with it. Okay, I'm a little scared right here. This guy is really good. He's got this what's my best way to be successful here and being able to just 100% stick to your game plan and stuff like that. Um, it, other than that, it's preparation, a lot of things like that. But uh, absolutely, that would be probably why you need old guys like me around for that reason. Because honestly, I didn't learn that stuff until I got to the big leagues around big leaguers. And I don't think you learn that in the minor leagues, the mental part of the game. You learn how to hit a fastball. You learn mechanics. You learn other things. But you've got to be around some guys that got it done that can help you with that, with, with that mental side of the game. All right. In addition to that shortstop north of the border, uh, who else do you like to watch in the game? In, in the whole league? Yeah, in the whole league. Okay. I know you guys are going to be sour on this one, but I think yeah. DJ LeMay, he is unbelievable, man. Yeah. I love that guy. Yeah, I think he has figured it out. He is just one. He is to me the toughest out in the big leagues right now. He, you just he, there's nowhere to throw him. You know, I've said this before about DJ, and there's a short list of guys that are super comfortable with two strikes. DJ's atop that list. You're on that list too because you were terrific with two strikes. We talked about it earlier. How you used to spread out, but uh, DJ's amazing. You know, what I look at, and DJ does this, is probably better than anybody. And it was when I was right, I was pretty good at it. When I look at a hitter's ability to really hit and beat beat other big-time pitchers, because to me, the good hitters can beat the good pitchers. You know, we got OPS, we got slugging, home runs, all that. That doesn't necessarily beat the good pitchers. DJ beats the good pitchers. And what I look at, the one thing I look at is the ability to take that inside fastball, that big fastball, and, and barrel it to the opposite field, like delay your hand, delay your barrel, and hit that to the opposite field. Once you do that, you're not sped up on breaking balls and, and change-ups, and there's really nowhere to pitch a guy like that, and, and, and DJ can do it. Well, I remember your days as a hitting coach, and one of the things that uh, you preached then, and I'm sure you do now, is to have the courage to uh, let the ball travel, let the ball get deep. It's one of his great strengths. Oh, yes, absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's that's what he does. And you know what? He he will almost, almost like he's looking to take that fastball the other way, and you hang a breaking ball, and he just turns on that. So he, he there isn't really – I mean, I love hear, hearing pitchers on our team talk about him and all over the league because there, 
they're just kind of flipping coins when he's up there. It's fun. Some people who got to the ballpark early and saw you take BP may recall one of the damnedest things I've ever seen. And you used to do this still a few years ago when you were the hitting coach with the Rockies. And that is with your top hand, your right hand, on your last swing of BP, you would try to hit the ball out of the ballpark one-handed. And as I said, you could still do that a few years ago. So is that uh, still in your bag? You know what? It's become such a thing now that I have to stay on top of it. And I would tell you that I can do it in softball with an aluminum bat. And okay. I'm not so sure I could do it with a wood bat on a baseball field. <laughs> but but it is that has gotten around, so I have to do that quite often. <laughs> Hey, listen, you're just a, a few years from 60. That would be a nice way to celebrate your 60th birthday. That'd <laughs> be nice. <laughs> yeah. Dante, it's great catching up, man. Best of luck to Bo and uh, best of uh, everything to your family. Stay well, my friend. Drew, thanks, buddy. And God bless you. Thanks for calling. I hope everybody in Colorado's doing well. I want to be You know, I think back to that 95 MVP race. And Barry Larkin, yeah, he had a terrific year. Barry Larkin, as we talked about, future Hall of Famer. He played shortstop. He won his uh, second straight gold glove in 95. He hit 319. Uh, He drove in 66, not sitting in the middle of the order. He stole 51 bases. He had a great year on a Cincinnati team that went to the postseason. But remember, the Rockies also went to the postseason that year. They became the fastest franchise expansion franchise to get to the postseason and so it wasn't like oh he put up great numbers on a team that wasn't any good the Rockies were very good in 1995 he had 40 home runs he drove in 128 and he should have been the MVP of the National League that year. The Rockies still have only had one, despite guys that have put up, you know, glorious numbers. Arenado, you know, came close several times. Helton had MVP caliber years, certainly. Larry Walker, though, remains the only Colorado Rocky to win the MVP, and that came in 1997. Another footnote to that uh, MVP race in 95, Greg Maddox finished third that year for an Atlanta Braves team that the Rockies would lose to in the playoffs. It it was the year he also won his fourth straight Cy Young Award. He went 19-2 with a 163 earned run average. That was uh, quite a year, 1995. I'll tell you another Dante story that I like. He talked so glowingly about the late Don Baylor, and anybody who was around Don Baylor, you know, has many stories about his leadership, his toughness, just the quality of human being that uh, that Baylor was. And you know, Dante didn't hesitate when I asked him what turned his career around. He said Don Baylor. I mean, you just heard him a few moments ago. Well, I remember one time standing in the dugout, and I was talking to Baylor, and. He was, you know, naturally looking at me and walking by getting ready for batting practice was Bichette. And he was wearing some sort of sleeveless shirt. You remember Dante? I mean, he had big guns, right? And Baylor never turned his head and looked at him. He just saw him peripherally go by and could tell that he was not 
wearing anything that had sleeves on it. And he said one word, Dante. And Dante looked back at him and Baylor, like a a hitchhiker, put his thumb out and kind of flashed it a couple of times. And without saying another word, Bichette did a 180, went down the stairs of the uh, dugout and up the stairs to the clubhouse. And he emerged a couple minutes later with a more appropriate top to take batting practice. That was the leadership and kind of the command that Baylor had, and he could do it in such a, a subtle way. And uh, he was a he was a great, great person for the game of baseball, and what a wonderful hire to be the Rockies' uh, first manager. And you know, for those of us who've been fortunate enough to be in the game, you miss uh, seeing Don Baylor. A couple other notes uh, before we get on out of here on Dante Bichette. Five straight years, he produced at least 118 RBIs with the Rockies. And I, I, this one bears repeating because I, I talked about it with him. He struck out for a power hitter over 100 times, which is commonplace for so many guys, even for non-power hitters now, just twice in his career. 107 was the most, 105 another time. Well, it was great catching up with uh, with Dante, and uh, it's always good to visit with all of you. Catch uh, the uh, DNVR guys, Drew Creaseman and Patrick Lyons. I join them uh, once a week. They put a good show on uh, every night on the Rockies. Catch them, uh, their DNVR podcast as well. And I'm getting ready to go with, on, on with them here uh, shortly. We'll talk to you all again next week. Stay safe, stay well, and thanks for joining as always. been listening to the drew goodman podcast subscribe at itunes or wherever you find podcasts and leave a comment that helps other people find the show rockies fans hit your morning out of the park with boyer's coffee proud coffee partner of your colorado rockies head to your local grocery store today to pick up a freshly roasted bag of boyer's coffee roasted right here in denver cheers to the home team 